Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Should we keep sinning so that we can get more grace? This is the pointed question that Paul asked in the epistle reading that we heard from Romans a few moments ago. Should we keep on sinning? Should we remain in sin so that grace may abound? There's resonances of this with a famous question asked by the philosopher Voltaire. I've quoted it before. He says, God loves to forgive. I love to sin. The world is admirably arranged. Hmm. Should we keep on sinning so that grace may abound? Rationally speaking, you can make a case for it. Especially if you follow Paul's argument in the letter to the Romans from which that reading came from. Paul in Romans talks about how all of us, all of humanity is kept in the clutches of sin. But that in spite of that sin, God has sent his son Jesus to forgive us, to wash away our sins. And that when he does that, he does it so that that grace superabounds. That's the word that Paul uses. It superabounds. Paul says right before our reading that we had today, right before that, he says, so that the more that sin increases, grace increased all the more. So that this flood of God's grace is able to wash away the speck of your sin and mine as easily as Lake Michigan washes away a little bit of dirt. If you have all that in mind, rationally speaking, should we keep sinning so that grace may abound? Kind of makes sense. But Paul says, no, absolutely not. And why not? The clincher for him is God's gift of baptism. Because you are baptized, Paul says. You can't keep living that way. All y'all who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death. You have been joined to the living Lord. And because he lives... And because in him, your sin has been buried six feet under and further. You cannot continue to live in sin, Paul says. You are joined to Jesus, and that makes all the difference. See, from this perspective, whether or not you should continue in sin, it's not just a, a rational deduction. It a, has a relational dynamic, see. Because you belong to Jesus. And what I want to do in this morning's sermon, with this being the baptism of our Lord, is to delve deeper, to flesh out what does it mean that we are baptized, recognizing that not all Christians have the same kind of, I'll put it this way, robust belief in God's gift of baptism that we as Lutherans do and other Christians do as well. We have a very firm belief that what God, that God actually does something in baptism, that he makes us his children, that he, he gives us his gifts. Not everybody believes that, but we believe that it is firmly biblically based, and part of what I want to do this morning is to demonstrate that for you. As we look at Jesus' own baptism, and what was true for him there is now true of you here as those who are the baptized. So I just want to walk through this brief text, gospel text that we had of Jesus' own baptism to see how does his baptism shed light on what it means for you and me to be baptized. And the first thing to draw your attention to at Jesus' baptism is the opening of the heavens. The opening of the heavens. Now, to get at why this is so meaningful, I want you to think of the great poem, The Divine Comedy, by Dante, the Middle Ages Italian poet. He writes this divine comedy, and it starts out with the inferno, where the poet Dante goes down into hell. 
Okay? It's a heck of a vacation. Goes down into hell, into inferno. And when he is down there, he sees all manner of frightening features, weird creatures, things that demons that are trying to, to pull him down deeper. He sees Judas, of course, and, and others who have been uh, rendered down to perdition. But the most frightening feature of all, for me at least, as I read it, is the fact that in hell, as Dante pictures it, there is no sky. It's like one giant coffin, and you are buried alive eternally. Anyone else deal with claustrophobia? No sky, no stars, the ceiling pressing in on you for all time with no hope of escape. That's how Dante, anyway, pictures hell. And there's something to that. When we think back to what happened, the ramifications, one of the ramifications of the original fall into sin, when Adam and Eve are cast out of the Garden of Eden, one of the things that happens is that God then bars the gates to paradise. Stronger than any barbed wire, he puts the angel there to guard it with the flaming sword so that no longer would Adam and Eve be able to break back into paradise. Now they have been exiled out of Eden. Now, as it were, the heavens have been closed, never to open again, unless... And this is where we see why this is so beautiful, what happens at Jesus' baptism. The first thing that happens at his baptism, it says that the heavens are opened. In Mark's account of the same story, he's even stronger in his wording. He says that the heavens were torn open so that at Jesus' baptism, now the gates have been opened once again. Now the way has been restored for you and me to enter into paradise. And what happens here at his baptism is even more emphatically confirmed at his death. And maybe you remember this moment. At Jesus' death, the veil, the curtain that separated the most holy place in the temple was all of a sudden rent in two, showing us that now, as the people of God, we have access to God the Father. Now, once again, that way into the heavenly kingdom has been opened for you and for me. Now, as those who are baptized, you have access to the Father. I'll go further than that. It's like you are VIPs in the kingdom. You ever been a VIP? A very important person? It's like the best feeling in the world. When I was a kid, my dad worked uh, at a hotel at Marriott, and he would get perks sometimes. They would have these special parties, and he would be a VIP by virtue of his job. And I would get to tag along with him, follow along. One time I met Magic Johnson this way. I've got the picture to prove it. I would be this little VIP junior because of the father that I belonged to. That's how it is for you who are baptized. Because the heavens have been opened and you are VIPs in the kingdom of God. No longer do you need to worry about eternal claustrophobia. Instead, the heavens are wide open. And as the psalmist says, I will run in a wide place for you have set free my heart. It's the gift given to us in baptism as you who are joined to Christ Jesus. And that's not all. The story goes on. The heavens are opened. And then what happens next? It says that the Holy Spirit descended, get this, bodily as a dove. Now, I want you to catch this. This is not just some metaphor or simile. 
it actually says that the Holy Spirit manifests himself in this moment as a dove. And Christian symbolism throughout the ages have picked up on this, that the Holy Spirit is typically depicted as a dove. This is how he showed himself in that moment, bodily, like a dove. And you think, oh, that's really beautiful and lovely. I like that. That's very nice. Some of you are hunters and you're thinking, I'm kind of tempted there, but I know that would be irreverent and blasphemous. Why does he descend like a dove? Or especially for ancient Jews, they had a hermeneutical principle that when they encountered something, hermeneutical is your $5 word for a, a, a principle of interpretation. They would have this principle for interpretation that when you came across something that seemed strange or unlikely in the scriptures, go back to the first place in the Bible that it shows up. Go back to its first appearance in the scriptures, and that may be a key for its significance, its meaning in this particular place. Well, think back now in your Bibles. Where's the first place that a dove shows up? Go back to Sunday school. Think all the way back to the book of Genesis, to the story of Noah. And with Noah and the flood, and after the flood subsumes all of creation, and Noah waits for the waters to abate, as the waters are still going down, he's trying to find out, you know, are are we ready yet to get out of this doggone boat that we've been in for so long? Is it safe now? So what does he send out? A dove, right? He sends out the dove that comes back to him a couple of times before finally the dove goes out and does not return. Ever after, the dove has this kind of symbolic significance of God's new creation, his recreation, even as at the flood he washes the world that had been in the grips of this awful depravity. God saw that every uh, man's heart was in this, the, the thrall of wickedness. Now he washes it clean, starts afresh, and Noah's dove becomes symbolic of that. So think now at the baptism of our Lord. What's happening here? As that dove descends, as the Holy Spirit comes down, it's a sign to you and me that our Lord is ushering in this new creation. See, He's opening the floodgates of forgiveness that is going to wash God's world even more fully than that original flood did. Because still, after that first flood, still the world continued to descend into all sorts of decadence and depravity. But now, in Christ, you and I have this forgiveness that is full and free. Now you have been given this new life in him. This is the gift of baptism once again. As Paul said in Romans 6, all y'all who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. But not only that, you have been joined also to him in his resurrection. Now that you might walk in newness of life, you're new creatures. You have this new hope, the promise of everlasting life, of the the resurrection of the body and the life of the world to come. That is given to you so that every day when you awake, as my mom used to tell me, it's the first day of the rest of your life. You don't have to wait for New Year's for that to happen. Even if you've already broken your New Year's resolution when we're, what, nine days in. Take heart. Every night we die and every day we are born again. His mercies are new every morning, for you are a new creature in Christ. We see this, the baptism of our Lord Jesus, as we are joined to him, made new, heavens opened. And one last thing, given a name. See, there's the Father's voice booms out as the dove descends and anoints Jesus. And then the Father cries out from those newly opened heavens, 
This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. This is not some nobody down here in the waters of the Jordan River. This is my beloved Son, the one who belongs to me, and I delight in him. It makes me think of a story I read a while back from a nurse. And this nurse was telling kind of heartbreakingly about the children who live only a few hours. He worked in the maternity ward and he saw this over and over again and he was recounting the names of some of these children. Heartbreaking names, things like chance and once and lost would be written on the birth certificates of these little ones who lived maybe a few hours, maybe only a few minutes. But the nurse recounted that for some of those babies, they weren't even given a name. You know, in, in the, the moment the mother is exhausted and heartbroken, everybody is just tired and no, nobody wants to press it. Why bother with a, a name? And so there would be all of these lists of baby boy A, baby girl B. But the nurse, and the reason they were telling the story, would say how secretly all the other nurses would get together and give names to each and every one of these children. Because the nurse said, nobody is a nobody. We can't let a single life go past without a name. Because even if that name is not known to us, it's known to the one who made them. And how much more is that true for you and me? We heard it in our Old Testament reading through the prophet Isaiah. God says, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. In holy baptism, God called you by name. He branded you with his name, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that triune name. And he spoke over you as he spoke over his own beloved son. This is my beloved child. This is my beloved daughter, my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased. And I want you to make note of that, see. Because sometimes we can have this sense that, yeah, I know that God loves me because he's God and that's kind of his job. But maybe he doesn't like me. Uh, maybe he doesn't delight in me. Be disabused of that notion. God not only loves you, he likes you. He delights in you. He is well pleased with you. Why? Because you are his beloved child, the one he has called by name, called by his name, and claimed as his own, whom he has made free, made VIPs into his kingdom, for whom he has opened those heavens eternally and rent the veil, the ones whom he has recreated and given this newness of life. See, you are beloved. You are named and claimed. You are are baptized. You're not nobody to him. And so you're not nobody. Amen. And may the peace of God that surpasses all understanding keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.